0: Now, this question this morning you should have your note sheet. the The question is, why didn't God come through for me when I needed Him most? And it's a valid question, an honest question, but it's a theologically difficult question. Uh, it deals with tragedy. It deals with disappointment. It deals with God's character. It deals with man's free will. And I'll just say before the end of this message, I'll just tell you that there's really not a clean, clear-cut answer because every situation has to stand on its own two feet. So there's no way that I could address all the issues that are surrounding this question because it's very complex and very personal. It's almost like a question uh, like a lot of people ask, why is there suffering when God is so good? Or why is life difficult? Uh, where was God at a difficult time in my life? And I'm just telling you there may be some tension this morning, but that's okay. Because we need to dig into this area a little deeper so that we can experience some healing in this area. And if you've never asked this question, or uh, maybe someone's asked you this question, you, this morning you really want to engage. That means sitting up on the edge of your chair with your heart open to hear what the Spirit of God is saying. Because we have to admit, before we go any further, that we've all had misconceptions. We've all had, uh, uh, like Paul says, I see through a glass darkly. Can anybody relate to that? Where you want to see more clearly, but there's something in the way. You know, I've asked God questions that he's told me. That's none of your business. Right? Um, but, and it wasn't in a, a mean way or a rude way. You know, but our desire is to see. Our desire is to know why. Just like a little kid when they grow up, why, 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 why? We're going to go to the store today, why? Because we're going to buy some groceries, why? Because we're hungry, why? Because you get hungry every day, why? Because God, may (laughs) you know, you see the big question of why and how it just promotes more and more and more questions. So if you look on your notes, you'll see that we've broken this down into two errors two reasons, and then a, a, a general answer. So let's go to point number one, being foolish. Being foolish. Um, sometimes we experience uh, act, uh, consequences to our actions or outcomes from our actions because we're foolish. I want to show you some pictures as we begin, um, and, and you'll, you'll see readily what happens when uh people can be foolish so this first question or the first picture here is uh some guys that are uh they're wanting to move the couch down but you know in just a couple of seconds they could be saying god where were you when i needed you the most <laughs> go ahead to the to the next here's a guy He's, he's going to transport his large-screen TV on the back of the motorcycle. I bet when he gets on the highway that it just turns into a sail. And uh, he, he probably will say something like, God, where were you when I needed you the most? Go to, go to the next one. Uh, here's a good one. where uh, Everybody's involved here. There's a lot going on. And uh, surely they're going to say, God, where were you when we needed you the most? You know, there, there is... Uh, a, and a consequence for every action, right? Go ahead for the next one. Okay, this guy, um, he's needing to replace the light, but he didn't have a ladder that would go up that tall. He thought he would build himself a ladder. This is not Jacob's ladder, but um, is, could this be considered foolish? Uh, he may be saying, God, where were you when I needed you the most? The next one, here's a guy who, this, the first ladder wouldn't reach it up to the top, so he gets another ladder, and we're not sure how this is going to work out. Go ahead to the next one. And here's the last one. There's a lot going, hold on, Fred. This will be all over in just a minute. <laughs> um, you know, there's some... There's some foolish, <laughs> there's some really foolish people out there. I, I hope none of this was uh, a picture of what, what you've done, but there's, there's one thing, there's a common denominator in all those pictures, and it's uh, that it was all done by a man <laughs> or a male. So not sure if that means anything, but we've all, <laughs> we've all done some foolish things. Uh, did I tell you to turn to Proverbs 9? I should have told you Proverbs 22. Proverbs 22, I'll give you just a minute to, to move from 9 to 22. But um, all of those people were just a few seconds away from asking, God, where were you <laughs> when I needed you the most, right? And so Proverbs does a really good job of, of clearly defining the fool and the wise. And so you know, we mainly fall in one of those two categories. So Proverbs 22, 3, verse 3 says, The prudent see danger and take refuge, but the simple, and the word simple there is translated foolish, keep going and pay the penalty. So the prudent are the wise. The wise see danger and take refuge. The wise are enlightened. They are humble. They receive new information. They receive the light. And when light comes to them, it's, it's like, oh, I didn't know that before. But now that I know that, I'm going to adjust my actions to the light because I see something that I didn't see before. That is the wise. That describes the wise. Humble, teachable. They like to learn and they're correctable. They, they, they're easily corrected. But the foolish, it says, in Proverbs 22, 3, says that they just keep going. They've, they're set in their ways. They're just going to keep going, and eventually they pay the penalty. It's like you see somebody and you think, wow, this is the fifth time that you've just bashed your head into that wall, but you're still going to do it, right? You're not going to change regardless of how many times you've hit your head against the wall. You're going to continue to do that. Right, so uh, Proverbs 22, 3. Now Proverbs chapter 9 and verse 7. Proverbs 9, 7, and 8. Proverbs 9, 7, and 8. It says, whoever corrects a mocker invites insults. Whoever rebukes the wicked incurs abuse. Do not rebuke mockers or they will hate you. Rebuke the wise and they will love you. So, uh, I mean, it's very clear from this scripture. The stance that the foolish take and then the stance that the humble take. The foolish will blame everyone else. They will not assume responsibility for their actions. They don't see that actions are connected to outcomes. They are doing things and getting the results and not even seeing that the two are connected. That's a fool. They don't equate their actions with their outcomes. On the other side, the wise are the ones that receive the light, walk in the light, and change their actions based on the information that they're receiving. Can you see that? Now, we draw the distinction between the fool and the wise knowing that there are times that we have acted, all of us, here, have acted foolishly. Hopefully from this day forward, we will act less and less foolishly. And just because, I'll throw another point out there too, just because we've acted the fool doesn't mean we wear the fool, right? Just because we've acted in a foolish manner doesn't necessarily make us a fool. Look at your neighbor and say, you're no fool. (laughs) But there is the potential that we would be one of the guys up on the ladder saying, I can, I can do it, I can do it, <laughs> I can do it. And then, after we've fallen and, and broken our head wide open, ask, well, God, where were you when I needed you the most? Right? I don't think we realize the subtle ways that we ourselves often do the same thing, where we engage in foolish behavior and then we want God to change the outcome for us let me just talk about our health and how we pray Lord heal me heal me heal me heal me even when the doctor has repeatedly told us to change our diet that we should exercise and then if we don't there's gonna be a consequence and listen guys You can pray all you want. But God's not going to change the outcome for your actions based on whether you like the outcome or not. And so we can act in a foolish way and expect God to clean it all up, but that's not God's character. If we're acting in a foolish way, We cannot expect God to change the outcome for our foolish actions. Do you understand that? Um, How about relationships? We're talking about healing, right? First, healing. Now, how about relationships? We want to be with a person so badly that we're willing to compromise. We're willing to... Uh, Go against wise counsel from people to the extent that we join ourselves with somebody that's not good for us in a bad relationship and then pray, Lord, help me. Where were you when I needed you the most? What am I going to do now? Right? How about one more? We work and work and work and work and work, work. One job, it's not enough. We get two jobs and we're working and we're working and we never take a Sabbath. And we're uh, violating God's principle of the Sabbath, running ourselves to the wall over and over and over again, totally spent emotionally, totally spent spiritually. We're not putting in, but we're drawing out And emotionally, physically, mentally, over and over and over, in the grind and the grind and the grind, we're not practicing Sabbath. And then we pay for it and we ask, where were you, God, when I needed you the most? Right? This kind of hits close to home. Can you see that sometimes that uh, our foolishness is the error that we're walking in and then we're expecting God to clean it all up or make it right. But God's a good parent. Would you say that? We, we've had that song recently. God, you're a good, good father. He's a good, good father. One of the things about being a good parent is that you have to be willing to let your kids experience pain. That went over real good. <laughs> it's part of learning that your actions have outcomes. Right? Right? and it's but it's counterintuitive because as a parent it's the last thing that you want for your kid to experience pain right you want to protect them but you know that if if you try and protect them all of their life they grow up with this no sense of their actions connecting to their outcomes and then they're they're, they're untamable no one wants to be around them because they think everything is fun, everything is easy, everything is, is a party, right? It's real quiet in here. So, this is why, and I can prove this from the Scripture now, I told you I I can't, I can't go for three hours this morning, but uh, there are times where God steps back and says, okay, I'm going to let you experience the outcome of your actions because I love you. And you need to feel this pain so you will change. Right? God's a a good parent. He tells you. He's given you his word. He's given you his spirit. But there are still times that we do foolish things. Right? This first error of walking in the foolish way doesn't understand that our actions are connected to our outcomes. Get that. You really need to get that this morning. Your actions are connected to your outcomes. The second error that we're going to talk about is is being perfect. Being perfect. Being perfect is the total opposite. It attributes everything that you do to every result that you get. Every action has the perfect outcome my perfect actions produce perfect outcomes right this is um, uh, religious people fall into this trap that we feel like if we're really good if we go to church regularly if we pray enough if we have enough faith if we confess the word enough that somehow nothing bad will ever happen to us we can avoid all heartache and trouble, and pain, and that this life will simply be great by being good people. Look at John chapter 9. I know I'm messing with some people's theology right here. I told you it was going to get tense in the room. Because listen, uh, God is a good, good father. And good, good fathers don't let their children grow up thinking that this world is a bed of roses. Right? I'm going to tell you some reasons here in just a minute. But good fathers live in reality. John 9, 1, uh, 1 through 3. So look at this. Um, as, as he went along, verse 1 as he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples ask him, this is Jesus, they ask him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus said, well, let me, let me just pause there. They were asking because they wanted to know why. Man wants to know the cause. We've got to find out the reason. What is the reason? What is the reason? What is the reason? Especially if we're in this everything's got to be perfect mindset. There's got to be, there's got to be a reason. I've got to find out the reason. And so his disciples are like, why is this guy blind? Why is this guy blind? Tell us, Jesus. We know that you know all things. Tell us. Jesus said, Neither this man nor his parents sinned. That just destroyed what they were thinking. But, he said, This happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. So, in other words, Jesus heard their question, but he answered it, in a way that he pointed out that their question was wrong. That they were focused on what they could find out about the cause when Jesus was saying, back up and let's see what God can do for this man. Right? Yes. Don't look at the man's sin or his parents' sin, but let's look at God's grace. Right? Right? Many times, if we're in this perfect mindset, let's see, I read my Bible today. Let's see, I prayed an hour today. Let's see, I made all the right confessions, but something bad still happened. So, where did I sin? Right? Jesus said, hey, 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 hey. Come back. Let's look at what God can do don't look for people to blame stop looking for people to blame you can tell if you're caught in this perfect mentality because there's blame on everybody you're the blame you're placing blame there's blame for everything blame 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 what happened why did it happen but what Jesus is saying here is don't focus on the cause but focus on the solution Let's look and see what God can do. He's also saying, listen, sometimes bad things happen because we live in a messed up world. And not everything is a result of somebody's sin or somebody's past mistakes. That's good news. Look at John 16. John 16, 33. Everybody say, good news. (laughs) I told you there was going to be some tension. But the good news is God is good and God is faithful. John 16, 33, Jesus is saying something very important here that we forget. We skip over. We'll read it when times are really, really bad. We'll read it, and then we forget it. Jesus, I've, I, he said, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace in this world. So we can we can say from that that Jesus, his will is not to deliver us out of this world. In fact, he prayed to the Father, and he says, I'm not asking you to take... Take them out of this world. I'm asking you to keep them while they're in this world. Right? It's the job of the Holy Spirit, the spirit of peace, to guard us and keep us in this world. But we can only have peace in this, uh, this world that we're living in by knowing that God is good and God is faithful. Jesus said, in this world, everybody say in this world. And if it was true 2,000 years ago, it's much more true or as true today as it was then, right? In this world, you will have trouble. Everybody say trouble. It, it, it blows my mind that Christians can be amazed that there's trouble on the earth. <gasps> there's trouble. Did you hear the news? Did you hear the news? Did you hear the news? How much bad news do you need to hear to believe that Jesus said there was going to be trouble on the earth? Right? It shouldn't surprise us. It shouldn't surprise us. Especially people that are filled with the Holy Spirit and have a clue. Do you have a clue? Jesus said, In this world, you're going to have trouble. So Jesus wanted us to stay here so we can minister to people who don't have peace because He's filled us with His peace and He's showing us that in this world there's going to be trouble. But He said, Look, Take heart, Uh, don't, don't faint. In other words, take heart, take strength, take strength, because if you don't, you're going to faint, and you're going to be just like everybody else that doesn't see any hope. And then he says, I have overcome the world. I have overcome the world. Notice, I mean, I, I could go for another hour on just this one scripture. Jesus said this scripture before he was raised from the dead. He was convinced, convicted, that uh, when he died, he would be raised from the dead. So the joy that was before him sustained him in the midst of people trying to kill him, right? And he said, you guys are going to have trouble in this world. Now, I'm I'm emphasizing this scripture because I'm going to make another good statement that could possibly rattle your theology, God never guaranteed us that nothing bad will ever happen to us. He never guaranteed us that nothing bad will ever happen to us. In fact, he guarantees us that we're going to have trouble. But he also guarantees us that he will be with us through the trouble. As we turn to him, as we turn to him true so we're not living on a perfect earth another fallacy that we have in this area of of perfect is we think that we have to do everything just so perfect to earn God's grace God's grace cannot be earned look at first Corinthians chapter 4 first Corinthians chapter 4 every gift that God gives is a gift of grace there is absolutely no way you can earn it. Healing, financial provision, protection, everything that is good that comes from God cannot be earned. In fact, God doesn't owe us anything because we've been good. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. For who makes you different from anyone else? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as though you did not? That's pretty simple, isn't it? Everything you have, you received. You didn't create it. It, it came to you through God. God created everything that you see, right? You didn't, you didn't even create yourself. The breath that you're breathing right now, at this very moment, came because God breathed the breath of life into Adam, right? And he created life. And so there's nothing that we can do to earn God's grace. There's nothing that we can do to earn our breath. There's nothing that we can do to earn our health or earn our provision. Look at Ephesians chapter 2. Sometimes we, we elevate a certain message way up here and then everybody has to meet that in order for God to do something for them. And it's just not so. It's just not so. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8. For it is by, everybody read together, it is by grace you have been saved through faith. Notice which comes first. Was it your faith or his grace? His grace. His grace, grace outlasts your faith every time. And it says, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no man can boast. And so people say, no, don't, brother, don't get into works. Don't get into works. But. On the other side of that coin, they're trying to get God's favor. They're trying to read enough and pray enough and confess enough and do enough and do enough and do enough, call, calling it faith to earn some of God's grace. And it just doesn't happen that way. We can never earn a gift from God because every gift from God comes by grace. Look at Romans chapter 11. Romans 11:35. 11, I know this, this steps on a lot of theology that's going around today. Romans eleven thirty five. Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? So in other words, God doesn't owe you anything. Right? You can't say it any plainer than that. And we've all known people who were very good. They went to church regularly. They play, prayed regularly. They read scripture regularly. And then something happened to them and they didn't understand. And they couldn't undo it. And they couldn't stop it. And they couldn't change. And they would pray and nothing seemed to be changing. And they got angry at God. They got upset with God. And it shook their trust in God. God because they felt like God owed them something. And they made statements like, if anybody's going to get delivered, or if anybody's going to get healed, it's going to be me. And the result is getting angry with God. If you've ever thought, well, I'm doing my part, why isn't God doing his part? The truth is, when you're thinking this way, It means that you believe that God's goodness rests on your goodness. God's goodness doesn't rest on your goodness. And this is good news. Everybody say, God's goodness doesn't rest on my goodness. That's good news. That's good news. If God's goodness rested on our goodness, what would happen if you weren't very good? (laughs) you wouldn't get his goodness. But his goodness stands separate from your goodness. God's good, regardless of whether you're good. He was good way before you could ever try to be good. Right? So the thinking, this line of thinking that we've got to We've got to earn God's grace and we've got to earn this gift leads to pride. This is the outcome of trying to be perfect, the outcome. And Jesus talks about this in Luke 18 when he says that there were two people who went to pray and there was one of them, a very religious person, religious person. It was a Pharisee. And how did he pray? He said, God, I thank you that I'm not like these sinners These people around me who struggle with all these things that I don't have to struggle with because I'm a very good person. And then Jesus said, then there was a man who was a tax collector who was a sinner. And this person had a rough past who stood at a distance and beat his chest. Now, it wasn't like Tarzan or anybody like that. But it was in humility. That was a sign of humility. There was a sinner, tax collector, who stood at a distance, and he humbled himself, and he said, have mercy on me. God, forgive me, I'm a sinner. And Jesus said, it's the second second man, that man who humbled himself, not the first man, who will find favor with God. See, God's goodness and His faithfulness doesn't come to you based on your goodness. And when we appeal to God, we don't appeal to Him on the basis of what we've done or our own faithfulness. We appeal to Him on the basis of His goodness and His faithfulness. And that's good news for all of us, right? God is good because He's good, not because we're good. So now we're going to look at a couple of reasons here. We talked about the errors, foolishness and then, um, you know, trying to be perfect and and thinking in that vein of being perfect. And both of these errors assume that our, uh, well, the first error, foolishness, assumes that our actions uh, don't matter. And uh, the second error assumes that our actions, all of our actions guarantee us a, you know, painless, trouble-free life. But the truth lies somewhere in the middle. And this is the tension that we as Christians live with. Our actions do matter. Yet God's grace supersedes even our choices and our actions. So look at the two reasons. Number one. Two reasons why bad things happen. Number one, because this world is not perfect. We're not living in heaven. That's the answer to why is there cancer, mental illness, birth defects? Why do we have natural disasters, famine and disease? Why do we have mass shootings and suicide? This is not the world as God designed it. This is a world that is, has been infiltrated with sin. And we have to realize that. Jesus spoke about that. So we can't ignore that. Romans 8 verse 20. Look at Romans 8, verse 20 and 21. It says, For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the, of the children of God. And so the world that we see today will not be the world that we see a thousand years from now or two thousand years from now. You know, if Jesus tarries and I go to be with him in heaven, then I'll see things as they really are. But we we become so limited in our view of how life really is. And, uh, you know, sometimes I think... And Jesus told us to pray that the will of the Father in heaven be done on earth. But he didn't say that by praying that we're transferring heaven to earth. Okay? There's heaven, and it's waiting for us. And by praying what Jesus said to pray that the will of the Father in heaven be done on earth, we're not praying that heaven be transferred to earth. Think about that. Say la. Because Jesus did say, in this world, you're going to have trouble. That's why we've got to be busy about our Father's business to gather in the harvest that every person that we come in contact with has the opportunity to hear the gospel respond to the gospel, and go be with the Father for all of eternity, right? This life here and now is not just about me and you, right? Again, I say, this is not a bless me club. (laughs) We're called to every Sunday to come in here and get fueled up and go out and win the lost. And if we're not doing that, then we are not accomplishing what God has called us to do. Because we're going to be off of this earth quick as a blink. The Bible says that this, this life that we're living right now is like a vapor. It appears and then it's gone. We've got to lift up our eyes and look past the temporary things to see the eternal things that really value, that, that really matter, right? Right? So the second reason why bad things happen is we have an enemy. We have an enemy. And that, guys, will not always be around. But right now, we face the enemy. Every day we face the enemy. Look at John 10.10. Jesus said it. Very plain. It's in red and white. If you have a red letter Bible. In John 10.10, Jesus said, The thief comes only... To steal and kill and destroy, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. So Jesus tells us we have an enemy. But many times we walk around like we don't have an enemy. We're also told by the Holy Spirit, speaking through the Apostle Paul in the 6th chapter of Ephesians. If you look at the 12th verse, Ephesians 6 and 12 talks about our armor, the armor that we are responsible to put on daily. Everybody say daily. Daily. You're responsible to put on your armor before you do anything else every day. Why? Because there's an enemy. And he has a target on your head to steal, kill, and destroy you, to move you off of this earth so that you're not a threat to his kingdom. And sometimes we act like... We don't even realize that there's an enemy, and we don't even know where our armor is, right? And then when things happen, then we, we, we think God's trying to get our attention. Absolutely not, guys. There's an enemy. Ephesians 6. Did you read it? Ephesians six twelve. What does it say? For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities and against the powers of this dark world. And against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Guys, that's going on right here, right now. The enemy is trying to take you out. Not only you, but your family and anybody else that that you influence. He hates us. Because we, we do have this treasure in earthen vessels. We are a threat to his kingdom. And so, these are reasons why bad things happen. Because the world that we live in the earth that we live on right now is not perfected this is not heaven and number two there is an enemy and he will steal kill and destroy from people who who have no clue that's why we need to get a clue and so i'm going to wind this up by giving you a a a general answer this is a general answer for this question you know where were you god when i needed you the most And I understand that there are so many different situations where people ask that question. But we have to back off and, again, look at the the slice of time that we're living in right now and realize that even though that we're living in eternity, we're still living in a slice of time. If you took a pie and you took a slice out of it, it would be a portion We are living in a portion of time right now. It's hard for us to understand because all we understand is from when our earliest recollections of of life up to the age that you are right now. And our mind thinks that that's all that exists. But eternity is forever. Forever. We have to have the Holy Spirit to help us to understand that concept. But we need, to, we need to live with boots on the ground, with our mind and our affection and our thoughts and, 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 and our focus set on Jesus and eternity. Right? Because people are making eternal decisions every day. This is more and more clear to me today, right now. People are making decisions that you have an influence in their life, and they need to know that you love them. They need to know that you love them. You love them. You need to tell people around you, I love you. Because love comes from God and God is love and His love flows through you. And then the second thing you need to tell them is that God loves them. But listen, if people see that you love them, they're going to know that God loves them because God lives in you. God lives in you. Right? And so the people that are around you, I know I'm dwelling on this point, but this has everything to do with eternity. You need to tell them that you love them, and not just with this kissy face love. That's, that's shallow. I love you, and I'm going to pray for you, and I'm going to do something about it kind of love. I'm committed to you, and it goes deeper than just Flesh. Anybody can love anybody else that loves them back, right? But God's called us as the body to love and to, to, to focus on eternity. Look at Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2. So, Jesus uses this situation in Mark. I'm going to start reading verse uh, verse 1. A few days later when Jesus again entered Capernaum the people heard that he had come home and they gathered in such a large numbers that there was no room left not even uh, outside of the door and he preached the word to them and some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man, carried by four of them. Since they could not get in, uh, get into uh, t- to Jesus where Jesus was, Jesus, uh, because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus. I'm reading it out of the New International Version back here off of the wall, so that's why you think I'm looking into the teleprompter. <laughs> The NIV version. So they they were up on the roof and they, they dug in the roof, ripping the roof off because there was no room to get into the room where Jesus was. And they were going to let down the bed, lowering the man that was lying on the mat into the room. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, now think about it. Let's just take a pause right there. Push the pause button on this scene. Here's a paralyzed man. He couldn't get there without his friends. So they were all in faith together because he wanted to be healed. Can you see that he wanted to be healed? He had been hearing that people were healed and here he is. His friends are coming. They brought him in. We can't get him in any other way but we're not going to go back home. We're going we're gonna to force our way into this. We tear up this guy's house just to get this our friend down and lower him down in front. And here's Jesus. And he says to the man, now this man is thinking, wow, I'm going to see a miracle here. I'm going to be healed here. This is what's going to happen. And Jesus, think about Now, we read this passage and we're already reading the end. Don't go to the end. Think about what the man is thinking. I'm going to be healed. Jesus says to the man, son, your sins are forgiven. Can you imagine what went through that man? Because there was a discourse there after Jesus said that. A lot, of times, a lot of times people preach this like Jesus said, Son, your sins are forgiven. Pick up your mat. Go home. No, no, no. Jesus said, Son, your sins are forgiven you. Then the discourse was going on. The man sitting there thinking, Hmm, okay. That's great, my sins are forgiven, but what about the healing here? What about the paralyzed? You know, I'm I'm still laying vertically here. Help me out. Right? Because Jesus had not risen from the dead yet, but he had authority to forgive sin. So, what can we get from this picture? What can we get from what Jesus said? Because later on, through 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 the discourse, he says. Is it easier to forgive sins or tell this man, be healed, take up your bed, and go home? Jesus wants us today, here in 2018, to be more eternally minded than just think that he's just our healer. He is, he is our savior. He forgives us of sin. He wants us to have an eternal mindedness about us so that we're, we're, we're not thrown when somebody who is sick and they don't recover, right? Your sins are forgiven you. Your sins are forgiven you. It teaches us that our deepest need is eternal. So we're not to stay focused on what hasn't happened are the disappointment, so that we begin to question, God, where are you? Are you good? Can I trust you? The answer is truly, yes, he is good, and yes, we can trust him, because he sent his only son to die on a cross on our behalf, to take, the, take care of the deepest need that we have. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4, last scripture. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17. Verse 17 and 18. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal weight, eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. So. The bottom line is that God did come through for you when you needed him the most. And because of Jesus, I think that we as Christians can be confident that God is good. No matter what we may experience in this life, God is good. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father...